He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. I am your host, John Johnston, founder and manager of CornNation.com, your Nebraska Cornhusker site of never-ending hope, especially the hope that we have a 2020 college football season. Joining me this episode is Matt Brown, formerly of SB Nation, formerly my boss. He's probably happy to he doesn't have to put up with me anymore, but he's now venturing into new territory. Uh, what's happening with you, Matt? Sure. Oh, well, first of all, I, I miss you. I miss, I miss working with almost all of the bloggers. It was a good job. Um, so I've been running Extra Points uh, for the last year or so. Extra Points is a newsletter that covers all of the off-the-field stuff that shapes what you guys see on the field. So I write a lot about, you know, political name, image, and likeness stuff. I write a lot about media rights, about finances, higher ed policy. So basically the only stories that are actually happening right now are the things I've been covering for a while. Um, if you're listening to this here on a Monday, today I have announced that I'm merging with the Intercollegiate. That's another uh, college sports publication. It was founded by Daniel Libet, who used to work for the Washington Post and Politico, is probably the foremost expert on using open records laws to tell college athletic stories. And so I'm hoping that now we're going to have a joint, uh, a joint venture here that's going to provide a library for everybody to access all of the open record documents that we're finding. We want to be able to make it so anybody can look at college athletic budget. Anybody can look at college football coaching contracts. Everybody can look at some of these big vendor contracts. We hope that that will help uh, explain how these things work for everyone, journalists, college administrators, college students, regular fans, while also continuing to write multiple newsletters. So I'm, I'm excited about it. we got a, a spiffy new logo. we got some new podcasts. We have some pretty big stories dropping this week. And we're, we're hopeful we can make a run at this and make a living doing it. Is, it, is this a subscribe site or is this free or what is it? So extra points is I think the, the industry term is freemium. You can you can subscribe to extra points for free, and I'll give you two newsletters a week. You can pay for it. It's seven bucks a month or seventy bucks for the year. Then you get four newsletters a week. You get a podcast. Uh, you get a, a, some deals on a couple of other things. The intercollegiate is free. Um, it doesn't publish nearly as often. The intercollegiate stories are going to be mostly long form investigative stories. This week we have a longer feature dropping on the use of consultants from athletic departments. We have a couple of longer FOIA stories that will drop later, but you can access all the documents for free. You can read the long forms for free. If you want to, if you want to get every interview, every podcast, all the details, you got to pay a little bit of money. To support you. Support me. That money pays for diapers. That money pays for fruit snacks and Disney plus. Those are all critical (laughs) items of the Brown family budget right now. Well, you know, I'm, I'm for, yeah, I, I think people have to realize that if they're going to get this stuff, they're going to have to pay for it. And uh, unfortunately what we're going to see from this virus stuff and is that a lot of newspapers and a lot of media people are just going to get killed off and maybe we'll start yep. paying for it. I don't know. Yeah, there's, it's, it's really unfortunate that we've already seen an almost extinction level event here with sports media. Um, and I, I think that's probably going to continue to get worse. And, and I think we're, we're beginning to see it right now within athletic departments themselves. These are not 
by and large, entities that should have huge cash reserves. And if, if expenses are going up and revenues are going down, and we can kind of talk about that more specifically if you like, that means furloughs are coming. Um, the, I feel pretty confident that at scale, the idea that we can have free news supported by digital ads and have it be good, it's not happening anymore. Um, you either ha you have to pay for it one way or the other. We were paying for it with crappy ads and bad user experience and data collection, and with a few exceptions, it doesn't make enough. It doesn't, just doesn't make enough money to to be profitable. So we'll have to find ways to pay for that sports news some other way. That's a whole different topic. Then we're gonna we're gonna stop and hold that for another time. Yeah. <laughs> what we're gonna we talk can, we about? Can, we can focus a little more on the athletics on the athletic department side here. Yeah. What, what we're going to talk about is yesterday, well, this drops Monday, but in our world, uh, recently the Big Ten announced that they would play a conference-only fall sports schedule. And by the time this is released, uh, we're probably going to see the other Power Five conferences announce the same thing. What was your first thought when you heard about this? To, to be honest, I was a little bit surprised because I was not expecting any Big Ten announcement until uh, later next week or later this week, I guess. And that seems to be the, the consensus among the other power conference commissioners. I'm not surprised that a decision was made, period. Um, I think it is probable that this week you will see other SCS leagues joining the Ivy League and either canceling or postponing their fall football season. And quite frankly, the... The, the COVID situation in terms of outbreaks, in terms of hospital capacity, and in terms of the university's own legal liability has gotten worse. You know, it was easier to be overly optimistic in early May or, or late April. And that just hasn't been the way that, that, that things have gone in every conference's footprint. And so by doing this, you're not really mitigating travel so much as trying to eliminate other variables. You can ensure, okay, every single school is going to meet the same testing standard. They're going to meet the same sanitization standards. They're going to meet the same reporting standards. And you can't really do that if you're playing out-of-conference games, even if those games are really close by, because everyone has different resources and everyone has different standards. The NCAA hasn't really mandated anything. So this is our best chance of having any kind of fall college football this year. I'm not confident it's going to work, but this, this, is, this is the Hail Mary. Okay, USA Today, I read an article last night that they stated the Big Ten Conference would play would have played 33 non-conference games at home. Contracts for 26 of those 33 games totaled $22.2 million. Ten of those games were to be played against teams from the MAC Conference. So we're talking about, what, Northern Illinois, Bowling Green, yep. uh you know, the MAC conference, Ohio University. Right now it looks that the like the Big Ten can use the begin quote, act of God, end quote, or force majeure, I think it's also called, I'm not a lawyer, clause in their contracts. So they wouldn't owe any money whatsoever to their non-conference opponents. That would just, it would really be debilitating to the conferences like the MAC. Do you think that's what will happen? I don't, but basically, I, so I called a couple of sports attorneys um, over the past couple of days to try to get a better understanding for this. So, uh, the unsatisfying answer is 
it's a lot more complicated than it looks within that particular contract. So what I can tell you, I've, I haven't looked at every Mac deal with, with the Big Ten, but I've looked at a couple of them from different schools. They're worded a little bit differently. And the what, what, what constitutes an acceptable use of force majeure also varies from state to state. So what I imagine that the argument's going to go is that the Big Ten school tells the Mac school, hey, um, because of this pandemic, uh, we can't play this game. That's an act of God that's in the contract. And then the Mac school will say, yeah, but you didn't cancel every single football game. You only canceled a couple of them. The contract doesn't say you can get out of the game if it's financially inconvenient. It says you can you can get out of the game if there's an act of God. So you have to play the game. And then they haggle. So what I think is the most likely outcome here is that you're going to see some negotiated settlements. Even if you have the law on your side, if you're Bowling Green, if you're Northern Illinois, you don't have that much liquidity. And you can sue, and the school with the, big, with the bigger guns and the bigger lawyers will sue too. It, the insurance companies will sue, and it stretches out for three years. You're not going to get all of the money, and you will succeed in pissing off the people in the Big Ten. And what every single one of these MAC athletic directors is saying is, like, we need to preserve the relationships with these schools because we play them in everything. And quite frankly, they also hire us. <laughs> a lot of the people who are athletic directors and senior vice presidents and general counsels uh, who work in, uh, in Big Ten athletic departments come from these MAC schools. So they don't want to nuke those relationships. Like the big example I keep hearing is nobody wants another Miami, Arkansas state. But that led to litigation. Things got messy. Those schools are never going to play in anything again. And you can kind of get away with that if it's a deal where you're okay burning that bridge. But nobody wants to burn that bridge. So what my expectation is for a lot of these deals, you know, let's say, you know, uh, Bowling Green is going to, I'm supposed to get like $1.3 million to play Ohio State. I'm guessing Ohio State says, Bowling Green, I'm going to give you 250000 and we'll play again in 2030. And we'll honor your existing fee then. And Bowling Green says, fine, we'll take it. Um, which is going to be a big financial hit for many of these max schools. It will make it harder for them to have a football season, but it's better than nothing. So Nebraska was going to play Central Michigan. Right. And Central Michigan was also going to play Northwestern. And between those games, Central Michigan would have received $2.15 million. They were already in jeopardy and losing their FBS status because they had cut programs and were not at the minimum level it's required to say at the highest level of division sports. Uh, they were looking for a waiver from the NCAA. This obviously hurts them a lot. What's what's going to happen to you think to schools like Central Michigan over the next like two three years? Yeah, it's it's they're they're going to be in a really tough situation. And my gut right now, and this could change, is that if we don't have a fall football season, the NCAA is actually going to um, issue some waivers about minimum sports uh, sponsorship requirements. I think the MAC will probably do that as well to give some of these schools that were on the bubble chance to make changes. Because in the event that there's no fall football, it's going to be catastrophic for everybody. It's going to be catastrophic in different ways. It's going to hurt Nebraska differently than it will hurt Central Michigan. Um, but it will hurt all the same. I'm not sure that you're going to see a bunch of schools reclassify, certainly not at the SBS level. Um, that's an institutional choice that requires a new conference home. It, it, you have a, you pay a huge political price if you're a university president that pushes for that. It's 
a big part of why Idaho's president lost his job. Not the only reason, but it's, it's a big part of that reason and why he hasn't been able to get another university president job. Um, but I, I do think it means that you're going to see a lot of staff cuts um, from those schools. You're going to see cost of attendance stipends or athlete benefits slashed. You're going to see other Olympic sports, even if it doesn't make sense. In like the case of Central Michigan, they're going to lose money by cutting their sporting programs, especially because they're going to have to start a golf team um, to remain in compliance. Like that was stupid, uh, but the schools are going to do it anyway. Um, my, my, if you put the over under at the number of FBS schools right now to reclassify in three years at like two, I think I'd, I'd probably take the under. I, I think there's really only one or two where that's a real risk. But when you go further down, when you look at some of these uh, Division One institutions that don't sponsor football, I think that risk is much greater. And then when you get down to Division Two, II, Division Three, Division NAIA, you know, NAIA, which has a lot of schools, you know, in Nebraska and in Kansas and in Missouri and some of these Great Plains areas, there you run a risk of not just dropping sports, but straight up closing entirely. Um, and that I think is a real thing that could happen over the next couple of months. Closing entirely. Yeah, we, we've already had, I think, close to two dozen schools across the country completely close. And many of them were competing at the Division II and Division III level. Like, we got to understand here, when we're thinking about the financial pressures for anybody, is that most of these schools were in a bad spot way before corona. We're, we're in the middle right now of most higher ed institutions in the U.S. experiencing declining enrollment. You know, after the last recession... We didn't make as many babies. <laughs> we don't have as many kids going to college. Um, and it's more expensive and now more legally difficult to recruit foreign students, which was even in the Big Ten. Like, that's a major source of revenue, and that's a major uh, way to keep everything going. You know, I think at Purdue, they have, like, it's close to 10% of their student body comes from outside of the United States. And it's, it's, you can't really keep doing that anymore at that, at that same clip. So when that happens... If you're in Nebraska or a Minnesota or an Ohio State and you're a state flagship, you're protected from that a little bit. You're going to lose some money, but you're probably not going to close. But if you're some tiny Lutheran college of 1,500 students and your, and your enrollment drops by 20%, you might be done. And, you know, that happened in my – I grew up in Ohio. There was a school, Urbana, that had a pretty decent Division II football team not too far from where I grew up. Schools completely closed. I would look at schools in New England, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. Um, especially at the Division three level, as most vulnerable. Because there you have a lot of schools that have small enrollment, uh, low endowments, are tuition dependent, and are kind of expensive. And those are going to be the first places that people decide it's not worth my money right now. Okay, I'm going to assume this isn't really a devil's advocate position as much as it is this. When you look at a problem, you have to examine all sides of it to be fair not even really fair, but to be kind of objective and look at the problem from solution points that you really don't necessarily like. So I'm going to ask this. I'm a, I'm a Nebraska guy. Most of the people that are listening to this are Nebraska fans. Why should I care if this hurts the MAC conference? Because it seems to me that I, Nebraska is in the Big Ten, and right now we're going to see – teams like Nebraska in the Big Ten or a team like Auburn in the SEC, that the rich are going to get richer out of this. They're going to be fine. And recruiting might be easier and hiring good coaches might be easier. So if I'm looking at this from the perspective of Nebraska only, why do I care? It's, it's, a, it's a good question, right? 
for one, I would say, I think everyone's going to get hurt. Like Vanderbilt just fired everybody in their sports information department. Florida State is about to announce, or I think by Monday we'll have announced that they're, they're letting go of multiple staffers within their athletic department. If there's no football or even delayed football, I'm pretty sure Nebraska is going to have to fire people. Um, and, and I don't know if they're going to have to cancel any sports, but there's going to be people you know, who have jobs, who have families, and who are connected to the Lincoln community who are not going to be employed. And you know, that, I, I think that hurts, even, even if it doesn't necessarily impact Nebraska football wins or losses. I know there are definitely some college football fans who say, look, some of these MAC schools, these Conference USA schools or Mountain West schools, they shouldn't be playing Division I football anyway. And I'm sorry for them, and I'm sorry that it upends people's livelihoods, but we just want a world where we're only playing other peers. I don't want to watch Nebraska play Southern Miss or Arkansas State anymore. And you know, to that I would say what's happening right now may move things you know, towards that path. If you don't get to play any of those games anymore or you have to play less of them, Will it be harder for Nebraska to make bowl games? Yes. <laughs> Will it be harder for Nebraska athletics to reach some of their competitive goals? Yeah. Could it potentially jeopardize what makes the NCAA tournament cool if 30 schools or two conferences shut down and eliminate some of those Cinderella storylines? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but it, it's true. The, the immediate risks right now for you are different than they would be if you're a fan of, of, of somebody else. And is like Nebraska football at risk of closing or of only being able to have six coaches or are we going to have to start playing seven-man football or something? No. It's true. There, there does seem to be this, you know, there's a lot of us who look at college football and we love it because it's chaotic and stupid and everything about it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. For example, why is Iowa State in the same conference as Texas when Texas has more money than God and Iowa State has to fight and scrap to get, I don't know, a new car maybe. But there also seems to be this, this group of people who want college football to be orderly like the NFL. So there's – a long time ago, there was this one of my customers actually stood up and described to me on a whiteboard his vision for the future of college football. And it would feature four power conferences consisting of like 10 or 16 or 12 teams each. Is that a possible direction where we're going to see this go in the next five years? I don't think so, but I'm a little bit less confident in that now than I was a couple of years ago. So, I mean, this is a very popular message board trope or off-season story idea like, well, we're just going to go to big super conferences and Power Five is going to separate themselves from everybody else. But the thing is, like, it's not 1972 anymore. If you're in Nebraska and you want to pass some kind of NCAA legislation, you can generally do that without needing to care about what UNO thinks, or, right, or about what Summit League schools think or about what even the Ivy League schools think. There's a reason that they're the college administrators call the P5, the autonomous five, they have mostly legislative autonomy. And if you break away, that means you lose the NCAA tournament, which will not make as much money and will not be as exciting as, from a gambling perspective, which is the whole reason why it's a big deal, if you, if you separate yourselves from these small schools. Um, there's also some academic prestige, as dumb as this sounds, from Nebraska being able to say, yeah, we're part of the same university association as Harvard and Yale and MIT. Um, and by separating themselves from that, um, it, it, it stings the ego a little bit. So I think it, it would require an enormous show 
of force and some, and some changed minds to really NFLize everything. Um, are there going to be some different, I think, some different conversations about whether we need to play at the same number of body bag games that we were playing before or at the same way? Yeah, that, that could change. There may be some, you know, kind of more subtle stratification. But in terms of, like, institutionalizing it and having it look exactly like the NFL does and having the playoff look that same way, I don't think that's likely right now. Uh, I, you know, I, I always wonder about these people, and I look at them and I go, you know, there is a, there is a actual football comp thing that where everything is controlled and everybody has a salary cap and everybody has the draft, and it's called the NFL. And if you want to go root for that, why don't you just root for the NFL? It always drives me insane when people want to make college football into something that's orderly. Uh, there wasn't really a question there. I'm just spewing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, for people who've been following this for a long time, I have some sympathy for that. I don't think you could ever make it completely orderly because there's no one in charge. And I don't even think there's really a way to put people in charge. It's run by five or six different people who have very different constituencies, and their constituencies are very different. And, and you know, sometimes I, I understand why people are like, look, just put Bill Connolly in charge, right? Just go give us a czar. I, I don't. I don't think you can really fix it. No, no matter how much order we push into, and some of those things have been beneficial. It's not. It can't be the NFL, for good or for ill. All right. I have to ask you this. This will probably be one of my last questions, but I have to ask everybody this: Do you think there will be any football whatsoever in 2020? Not really. Um, wh- and, and here's why. Right. So with, with, with this change here with the Big Ten and with the Ivy League and you know, maybe by the time we're talking or in a couple of days after, I really expect the Patriot League and the Pioneer League at the FCS level to make similar decisions, saying that, that we're, we're not, we're not going to do this. You have two different financial pressures. If you're an FCS team or if you're a G5, so some G5 teams, the only reason you're able to financially justify a football season is through guarantee games. Basically, nobody in the FCS except for a couple of Missouri Valley teams makes any money from television. They make that money a little bit from tickets, but mostly from playing these FBS or bigger FCS games. If you can't have that, and you're looking at a world where you're not going to be able to have um, uh, bringing in selling out all your tickets, so you're looking at 20% capacity, 25% capacity, it doesn't make financial sense, given how you're going to be squeezed at every other level. But then for some of these big schools, yeah, you have this enormous incentive to do this because you need to maintain that broadcast revenue, but you also have other big risks through liability, um, through the, the, the litany of, of, of testing and outbreaks within your footprint that you can't possibly control, the amount of travel that you're doing, and then university presidents, not athletic directors, but presidents who care quite a bit about what the Ivy League and what these more academically prestigious private schools are doing. Because you're probably not hiring an offensive coordinator or an athletic director or a budget director from Princeton. I mean, Maybe, but probably not. But your university president might have come from there. And if he or she hasn't, she'd like to work there. <laughs> and there's a reason that the Ivy League, uh, I think, helped lead what happened with the NCAA tournament. So looking at all of this, looking at what's happening right now in Texas and Southern California and in Arizona and Georgia and Florida, I don't see how it happens. Now, whether that means we have it in the spring or we don't have it, I couldn't tell you. Um, I couldn't tell I, It's possible that a couple of conferences decide come hell or high water to start football but I, there's, I right now i can't see it happening any kind of like completed season 
any, any, anything resembling any product that we've had before, there's going to be more and more pressure to just say, we, we got to wait. This is, the, this is the benefit we get for a functioning society. And right now, we just don't have it. Okay, I, this, okay, I said this was going to be the last question, but I lied. I do that a <laughs> lot. Uh, liability, do you think there's any, and this is speculation, obviously, because uh, that's a lot of what we do. Liability, do you think that the federal government will give any kind of sweeping indemnity for liability on COVID cases? That's a, that's a great question, and I don't think I have a great handle on that right now. All I can tell you is that multiple university presidents have asked for it, and that there are people within the Trump administration, the uh, current uh, attorney general's office, and some senators who are in favor of it, particularly because they really want to push universities to open, um, and K-12 schools to open. Whether that actually passes or happens, or, or what the, the individual political pressures on that will look like, I don't, I don't know yet. Um, I do know <laughs> athletic departments and, and universities are terrified of that um, because it really only takes one or two bad cases that you can trace to school facilities that will just, you know, destroy you, not just financially, but from a PR perspective, too. It's, it's a different risk evaluation than, than maybe for some other businesses. I guess I'd say that I don't believe that it's going to happen mostly because there are so damn many lawyers in Washington that uh, – Lawyers, they never want to hurt their buddies. Yeah, I, 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 it's certainly possible. Um, one of it's it, the weird thing about trying to track some of the COVID and university and college athletic stuff in Washington right now is that a lot of these things aren't falling on predictable partisan lines, particularly with name, image, and likeness. Like there, it's it kind of varies completely by the individual. Um, and there are there are Democrats who uh, are, would be in favor of this because they receive contributions from uh, some of these really big universities or institutions. There are going to be some that are, are backed by trial lawyers and they want lots of these lawsuits. And I really don't know how it's going to go right now. It's it's I'm, quite frankly, I don't think the senators know either. Wow. Okay. You know, I could go, there's many, many, many avenues to go down with regards to all these subjects. And I think that the biggest thing with people who listen to the podcast is we get the most downloads when we're talking about sports. But the thing yeah. that bothers me is all of these issues create the sports that we love. And if we don't get these right through leadership and through good decision-making, then it really annihilates the sports we love, like this fall. I mean, uh, just before I called you or, you know, we got on the podcast, I was thinking I'm, I'm going to do an article about the case for fall sports, and uh, I really should do that. I One of the things that bothers me is we seem to be putting this off in the hopes that there's going to be a vaccine or that aliens are going to come down from the sky and save us from ourselves. And the reality is, is there's a good chance that that's not going to happen. So, if they don't have fall sports, it's like saying we took a shot and we lost and we're going to have to fall back in spring. And if we don't have spring, then annihilation comes. Um, I guess that's what I see happening. So at some uh, yeah. point, at some point you got to make a decision and it's not going to be a good decision. It's possible. It's going to cost a lot of careers and it could cost some lives, but at some point, 
I think a lot of these leaders are going to have to suck it up and realize that there's an inherent risk in life and we're going to have to take it. Am I just a jerk or? <laughs> well, I, 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 I think, I think a lot of this depends, right? Like one of the frustrating things about COVID right now is that there's, there's still an awful lot we don't know about the disease. We can feel pretty comfortably stating, Hey, the risk of death for a college student, particularly a college athlete is very, very low. It's, it's, it's almost certain that you're not going to die. What we don't know really is what are the other outcomes in between there? If, you, if there is a significant risk that you might have long-term lung damage that could negatively impact your professional career, that's a big deal. If there's a potential risk of brain damage or of long-term sensory decay um, or anything beyond just a really bad flu, it, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a binary decision. And you have to price some of those things some of those things in here and for a truly essential business or something uh, something that we that as a society is critical to making things function we you know your, your your civic infrastructure maybe you have a higher risk tolerance and hopefully you price that in to what they're making than for entertainment one of the the, the frustrating things we have to remember here when we're comparing this with professional sports is that the professional athletes are not only highly compensated but they get a union they get to literally collectively bargain and determine how much risk they're willing to accept. And college athletes don't. They don't, they don't have any of that leverage, any of that structure, um, and they can't be protected the same way that some professionals can. So, I mean, personally, which sucks for me because, yeah, I would sell a lot more newsletter subscriptions <laughs> if we had football. I don't like writing about COVID every single week, even though that's, that's easily the, the most important thing that's happening right now. But morally... Am I okay with erring more on the side of caution for people that don't have the same labor protections as somebody in the NFL? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think that's fair. It is, I'll, I'll kind of you know, end on this. As frustrating as this is, and I don't like to get explicitly political, we are in this situation because a lot of leaders did not want to be the ones making hard calls. University presidents right now, and I can tell you because I've talked to a couple of them and some athletic directors, there are some that would have liked to cancel football earlier, but they didn't want, they, could, they couldn't do it because they didn't want to be the, the ones stepping out in front and eating, taking the political hit for making that unpopular decision. There are governors that would have liked to have enforced more you know, stringent restrictions on people, whether that's with masks or limiting certain kinds of businesses, but they couldn't take the political hit, the hit. And so because a bunch of people passed the buck, and, you know, politicians, university leaders, athletic directors, business leaders, all, people who are in charge of stuff and leaving that all to individuals who did not have the same capacity to make informed decisions. That's why we're in this position. And that's why most of the rest of the world is not in that position. Um, and you have to hope that this is a wake up call to, to maybe change some of those behaviors so we can have sports and more importantly, have a safe functioning economy and society on a bunch of other levels. But if people aren't willing to make those hard calls. I don't think we can will this into existence ourselves through our own personal behavior. That is, uh, you know what that is? That's a damn good ending. And I'm not going to ask any more questions because that summed our situation up pretty doggone good, which is why people should pay for your content. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Seven bucks a month, 70 bucks a year. Um, if you are uh, <laughs> happen to be an academic, uh, you work in that athletic department, university, you want to bulk rate, I'll cut you a deal. 
Uh, I've done this with a couple of other schools right now, but that's that's what's keeping the lights on. Um, I write about this all the time. I'm this coming week. I have a big open record story about Oklahoma State. We have uh, some big stories here about consultant use. Um, I, I've interviewed uh, a, a major rulemaker here for the NAIA and talking about likeness and governance issues for really small schools, which may be of interest to some Nebraska fans because I know that they, they might have gone to some of those schools. It's stuff that it's important. And we have some experience talking about it. So hopefully, whether you pay for it or not, I hope you spend some time with Extra Points this year. I'll include some information in the show notes that you guys can look at to hopefully help Matt uh, put out more content. This has been John's Post-Life Crisis. Thank you to Matt for joining me, and thank you all for listening. I hope you all having a wonderful summer, despite all the stuff that's going on in the world. Go Big Red.